Welcome to the Self-Growth Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Marie, a courage coach, creative soul, and adventure seeker. Since thru-hiking the Pacific Crest Trail in 2019, I'm on a mission to help you embrace your most confident self so you can achieve your dreams too. If you're eager for deep conversations, big questions, and meaningful connections, join me on the quest to discovering how we can create a more magical and memorable life. Hello, nerds! How are you this week? I am really good. Today, we have two guests on the podcast, Millie and Nick from Decolonizing Love. So I'll tell you about why I decided to invite them, and then I'll pass the mic to them so they can introduce themselves. So Millie and Nick are educate people online about polyamory. And as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, I left a long-term monogamous relationship about five months ago. And since then, I've been exploring a lot. I came out as queer and I've been reading a lot of books about the different ways to be in relationships. Uh, before, you know, before I jump in, into something else, I want to make sure that I uh, am in alignment with my values. So I'm looking at everything that is possible. And I was reading books like Polysecure, More Than Two, and in my research, I came across their Instagram account, Decolonizing Love, and fell down the rabbit hole. They are really fascinating. So welcome, Millie and Nick. Please tell my listeners about who you are, what's your story, and uh, yeah. Well, thank you, Marie-Pierre Turnplay. We are very happy to be here as fellow nerds. <laughs> um, so my name is Millie, and um, this is my partner, Nick. And we're both polyamorous. And as you said, we run a social enterprise called Decolonizing Love through social media. We educate about polyamory from a decolonizing perspective, but we also use polyamory as an inroad to talk about how colonization affects relationality in general. So my decolonization and indigenizing political philosophy began in Kenya, where I'm from. I'm of mixed Kenyan origin. My father is of the uh, is half Kalenjin tribe and half Italian, and my mother is of the Dorobo, Maasai, and Kikuyu tribes, and is also a fifth Asian and Indigenous Mexican. My father worked with the United Nations, so I also lived in Israel and Thailand and Cambodia. And then when I was a teen, I moved to the Netherlands before coming to do my undergrad here in Toronto, Canada, which is where we both live. So the beauty of a life of a nomadic existence between indigenous cultures, the global South and the West is that you don't take for granted that culture is a societal construct. Because my formative years were in the global South, I found the Western obsession with romantic love and how they went about romantic love and their lack of community really odd. I grew up in a pretty political household. My father was passionate about the Palestinian cause uh, my mother worked at Strengthening Community, and she's, and that is very important for Indigenous people to life. And my stepfather is an environmentalist. So invariably, I became an activist. My activism serendipitously led me to non-monogamy activism, first for only people of color in Toronto, because there was a lot of racism in the mainstream polyamory community, before I eventually co-founded Decolonizing Love with Nick for the Wider World. And uh, hello, everyone. I'm Nick. My story isn't so um, the uh, 
I want to say your story is like 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 a book, like a movie. Epic. Right. <laughs> epic. Yes. My story isn't so epic. Um, I I I am um, born and raised in Montreal, uh, Quebec. I yes, and um, I have Italian and Greek roots, and so um, my my upbringing was pretty much traditional. So. Uh, very monogamous, very much um, where where we're told by family that, you know, like you're going to have kids, you're going to get married, you're going to follow that script. Very patriarchal as well, my family. And so um, so growing up, I, 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 I would get these influences uh, um, and and really gear myself up for that type of life. However, you know, when it came to love, uh, things were very different for me internally, like very, very different. Um, I had very different feelings from what I was told I was supposed to have. For example, um, you know, whenever I had certain relationships, I never felt this amount of possession uh, or jealousy towards not saying that, um, that, that a requirement to be polyamorous is no jealousy, but for me, my personal story is I I never felt any possession or jealousy. And I always questioned kind of like the notion of marriage and whether it's necessary. And I think that part comes more from being in Quebec and, you know, Quebecers in general uh, have the lowest instances of marriage, um, uh, um, you know, compared to um, all of North America, I should say. And, um, but that has an, another reason and a, another history for that. Um, but I still question marriage. I questioned a lot of, a lot of things, but still went with the flow. And then I met Millie uh, 13 years ago and uh, she, she ended up telling me about polyamory, about something that she wanted to do. And at first I was like super curious. I was uh, also happy because I was like, I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't even know you can do this. I didn't even know this was an option. Like there was like this secret code in the game that unlocked another <laughs> world or something. <laughs> and, and, and somehow nobody told me about this. Um, you know, I, I, I knew about people cheating. I knew, and I guess that made me a little jaded in relationships and kind of thinking, you know, everybody's cheating. I don't know about this whole love for life, whether we can stay with somebody for 50 years, the same person. And so, and, and so she kind of like, uh, I think Millie just made me, you know, realize that, okay, like a lot of what intuitively I was feeling, you know, there was a world for that. And so, um, then, um, then started kind of like going down the rabbit hole to use your words of learning about polyamory a little bit more. Uh, so going on Facebook groups, um, uh, uh, different types of forums, threads, um, to really learn about, um, kind of like the different issues and, um, the same as you learned more than two kind of like everybody's primer, um, to polyamory, um, and then and then and then other books and and then learnt along the way and this is where we are today so that's kind of like my story less epic but but yes <laughs> I, I i keep seeing the image of like uh you're like a fish in a fishbowl you're swimming in the water 
you were kind of looking around questioning the water but felt like there was no other option and Millie was looking at the water from the outside uh, oh. came in with her outside perspective and then she just poured the yes. whole fish bowl over and then I just started like like gasping and, and yes. jumping up and down like a fish being like, <laughs> well, our, our were like oh the wider waters there's all this in Arca you know yes. you're like there's all this you know yeah um, it's, it's breaking the fish bowl but actually the fish bowl was in an ocean and there's yes. so many more possibilities right I think that, you know, because I've had, I've dated different people who are new to, who I introduced to polyamory. And, you know, I think Nick was one of the best transition into polyamory. And I think there's some people who will want to stay in the matrix. You know, there's some people, even when you show them the possibility that it's a wider world, they don't want to swim away from their pool. You know, you wanted to explore the wider world. You were like, oh my god i have this is there's more to life some people even when there's given those options don't want yeah you know to. and 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 i want to specify that's you know in our experience that's a large majority of people that's not to say that everybody's going to be like that um um but a large majority of people um do do end up when they kind of see outside and see that that's a possibility um and 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 they take that leap to to learn introspect learn the skills uh um it, it it becomes amazing we've also met people that have taken that leap and learned everything and then consciously decided to be monogamous as well yeah. and 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 that is just as fine as well exactly. uh so you know it's like there is but in our personal belief and there's no way to really prove this um yet <laughs> but we do think that there is a large majority of people that are naturally polyamorous um and it's just because of this culture this compulsory monogamy culture that kind of confines us yeah. in this world where we think monogamy is the only option Mm -hmm. I love that you bring this up because that's going to segue into my, my uh, next question. Before I came across your account, I had never heard of the term compulsory monogamy culture. So I would really love for you to tell my listeners what that means. And also, I'm familiar with the idea of decolonization, but I had never heard about it in, when it comes to relationships. So what does that mean to you? And what's the history behind that? Okay, so um, I will answer the first part of that question about decolonizing and um, how that relates to relationships. And then uh, Nick will answer the question around the history of uh, compulsory monogamy. Um, and what does compulsory monogamy mean? Yeah. So um, we talk about, and we titled it, um, our page Decolonizing Love, because a lot of people don't even know that love is affected by colonization. A lot of people don't even know in general um, much about the history of colonization. And a lot of the time we attribute colonization only to land, resources, and um, enslavement. But colonization affected every single part of our lives. It was a complete turnover of the old world to this new world order. So when we are decolonizing love we're critically examining and challenges the way in which colonization imperialism and dominant culture narratives have shaped our understanding of love relationships and intimacy 
So we recognize that colonialism not only imposed political and economic control, but they imposed Eurocentric values, norms, and structures onto various aspects of life, including relationships. So to decolonize love is to reclaim and honor diverse cultural and historical ways of forming connections, intimacy, and family structures that have been marginalized or suppressed by colonial forces. I love this. And do, could you give us an example, like a specific example of how colonization influenced yeah. relationships? Absolutely. Um, so we can look at um, Turtle. We're going to look at Turtle Island. I think it, it's, it's good because we know we're all we're all here. You're in Quebec. Um, we're here in, in Ontario. So when um, the British came here, um, women in, on Turtle Island had quite a lot of freedom. Um, they, they had free sexual relations with men. Um, the way that families were formed um, here was mostly people lived in extended kin network, but you know, women were not tied to the men who that they had children with. And um, the British found this free sexual liberation of women um, just uncouth, barbaric, uncivilized. And they started, and also um, they didn't respect the fact that land was not owned. You know, to them, land was a private commod was something to be commodified, whilst land was owned by the community. You know, in 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 um, indigenous cultures. So what they started to do was start to privatize land, and the only men can own land. And um, women to be able to gain security had to be married to a man. And you could not marry multiple men and men could not marry multiple women. And the only institution that would, uh, uh, would recognize your marriage no longer be tribal culture, it would be the church. And so in this way, you are forcing people to survive, to have dignity, to especially for women, their only survival is gonna be now through a man, through marriage, through this Christian customs. So in this way, compulsory monogamy culture was forced onto indigenous women in this country. Mm. An example. I think that that kind of goes a little bit into the history. Yeah, it goes a, a little, little bit, bit. It goes into history. Yeah. So, but you can start in the agricultural revolution. Yeah, here. yeah. So, so really, you know, you know, a lot of what Millie says kind of ties into how how compulsory um, uh, monogamy culture started. It really started with kind of like it's deeply intertwined with the societal shifts that happened with the agricultural you know revolution, like Millie said, and the rise of patriarchy. So, you know, Millie talked a little bit about how you know, previously there was a lot of like nomadic hunter and gatherer um, uh, societies. And the idea of, you know, inheritance and property rights didn't really like weren't really there until really that agricultural revolution. And the reason why was because um, there men, um, so, you know, property, or inheritance was passed down through your own lineage. And men needed to find a way to guarantee that their children were their own lineage. And there was no science, there was no paternity tests back in the days. There was, so the only way to know that was to control this, the woman that they were 
sleeping with and control um, to ensure that the woman doesn't sleep around with other men. And so, you know, I want to specify men were still allowed to sleep with other women, but it was really that control of the women um, because th that was the only way they could know and pass down. And so, um, so this really marked a shift from more like communal and flexible forms of relationships to stricter monogamous unions. Um, and, and now in the context of religion though, and how that plays into, um, there was a shift from, you know, fertility gods um, or fertility religions God. and goddesses, gods and goddesses um, in many different parts of the world. And there was a shift from these type of gods and goddesses to patriarchal structures. That's where you hear about Zeus, right? Being the head of all the gods. And then after, you know, all these polytheists religion moved to a monotheist where it was one God who's a man as well. Um, so um, these, you know, it's with this shift in these, the, these beliefs then these societies became more hierarchical, uh, more patriarchal, and um, and it shifted to a more male-dominated narrative, which which mirrored the rise of patriarchal family structures as well. And so the rise of Christianity, and particularly in the Roman Empire and later its dominance of Europe, played a significant role in further enforcing monogamy. So um, so obviously Christianity emphasized sexual purity, marriage, and the monogamous family unit that aligned with the interests of the Roman Empire. Um, and this sought to control social order and inheritance. And so as Christianity gained more and more power, um, it consolidated its influence by promoting monogamy as the only legitimate form of relationship. And this is really the essence of compulsory monogamy culture, it's that only legitimate form yeah. that's 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 acceptable. Um, so it condemned all other types of alternative practices as immoral, diabolical, heretical, um, and 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 that and the church's control of, over marriage and its role in shaping societal norms solidified the link between Christianity, patriarchy, and compulsory monogamy. Um, now, it's also important to also note that, um, um, you know, it's compulsory monogamy served the interests of colonial powers by furthering their control over indigenous populations and reinforcing their ideologies, as kind of Millie mentioned a little bit. It also plays a crucial role in the emergence of capitalism. So monogamous family units served as units of labor and consumption, aligning with the needs of capitalistic production and com consumption patterns. And so the nuclear family became a source of labor with men working outside the home, women taking care of domestic responsibilities, creating a stable workforce for industrialization. And so that served its purpose for industrialization. Um, and this arrangement also facilitated the accumulation of private property, inheritance, and the passing down of wealth, all of which are central to capitalistic economic systems. And so everything, in essence, the history of compulsory you know, monogamy is a complex interplay of agricultural shifts, patriarchal control, religious transformation, colonial expansion, and economic interests. It reflects how cultural, religious, and economic forces converged to shape 
our understanding of love, relationships, and family structure in ways that often reinforced power imbalances and marginalized alternatives to how we relate. Mm. But but all this is super subtle because we don't want this to look like a, a tool uh, for power. So at some point we have to sprinkle some romanticism on top, on top of that. Well, yeah. yeah. And you raise a good point. I mean, I think romanticism, the romanticism move, movement also finds a way it's, it, it, to solidify mm -hmm. or, 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 or almost like, um, you know, give credibility and validate um, um, this a little bit more. So when we look at the history of romantic culture and the look at love marriages, it's interesting how over the last couple hundred years, it's really been feminism and um, that's pushed romanticism, but then patriarchy has this way of always co-opting all of this, the romantic uh, movement of feminism because back when is that it was considered that women didn't need to have orgasms, you know, when they were in a relation, when they were married, is that, you know, you know, the way that a man had sex with his wife was very different from the way he had sex in a brothel, you know? And uh, so a good woman, a married woman was a woman who, you know, was there to just take care of her husband, be with the kid. She didn't have any desires. She didn't have any orgasms. She was very chaste. You know, that was what it was. And then women were like, no, we also have needs. We should be romanced. We should also have orgasms and everything, you know. But it was this interesting way that when we look at dating culture, dating culture, it, you know, uh, also um, coincides with the rise of marketing. When you look at romantic love, it coincides with the thing of the idea of having this big shiny ring, you know, so that you can, this, this will prove your marriage. So this way that the system would be like, oh, women, yeah, you definitely should be romance with a diamond ring. You money, know? there's money there. Let, money, let, yes. Let's take advantage. You're having continue, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's always been very nefarious where... Um, that patriarchy, you know, romantic love is literally only a couple hundred years in, as an idea, as a basis of marriage. Because beforehand, people would get married to strengthen social ties or family ties. Political reasons. Political reasons. Like, I was, I was finding hilarious that in today's age that we think Roman Juliet is a book that shows you, like, perfect romantic love. But back in the day, it was to show you why romantic love is a bad idea and that's not a basis to you know be in love because look you just killed some members of your whole family and now you're dead at 13 14 years old after three days of knowing each other right <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right and but that was what shakespeare wrote those books for um but now we've this is amnesia it was called a tragedy it was called for a tragedy reason. for our reason you know <laughs> But it's warning, exactly. Yes. But we now live in this age of like so much amnesia. We don't uh, know that there what the history of compulsory monogamy culture is. We don't know the history of romantic love. We just have it as a given. You know, this culture teaches us is that everybody should aspire to romantic love, and if you are not aspiring to be in a monogamous relationship, there's something wrong with you. You know, that you're deviant in some sort of way. And it's not even the way that we have been for most of our human history. And, and what we do is try to teach people a little bit about, you know, try to wake people up, like, you know, to what um, this myth has been that we've been taught for, for you know, over the last 300 years. 
Yeah, there's a part of me that there's a teenage part of me that doesn't want to wake up. That's like want to go. No, 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 no. <laughs> like I hear like all the rom coms I have watched and like all the feelings it made me feel. It's like, yeah. no, this was not real. Um, it's fascinating and blowing my mind. Um, and now I'd love to shift from history to uh, more personally about you. What brought each one of you to polyamory and why do you keep choosing polyamory every day um i've never had like ever chosen monogamy <laughs> I started yeah, you, one thing I, about millie is she's always been polyamorous yes i've never been monogamous um so the way i started was um when i was a child i lived for a while in uh, Maasai territory on the outskirts of Nairobi, Kenya. And um, the Maasai are one of the few tribes in my country who still keep to the traditions. They have barely assimilated. And so polygamy, a lot of them are polygamous. And a lot of, whenever I say this, people are like, oh, the men are the only ones who are allowed to marry multiple um, women. And so the women are all, um, I guess, controlled by men. It's very patriarchal. I'm like, no, not at all is that women are yes uh only men are allowed to marry multiple women but women are allowed to have multiple lovers and they do and when a man goes hunting comes back and sees a spear in front of his wife's hut that means she's with her boyfriend don't disturb and she can have babies with another man it just it won't it won't take her boyfriend's name it'll just take her husband's last name but she's allowed to do that and twice a year all the women in the village go on a girl's gone out wild trip you know uh and uh other men are in other villages are scared because they know what time it is. All the wild Maasai girls are out. <laughs> and so I, I lived in this, you know, this tribal community for a while, but I went to school inside the city. And a lot of my family are assimilated into more Western ideas of relationships like monogamy and marriages, and they're Christian. And I just was to see the hypocrisy of people who had assimilated into Western ideas of relationships. And I would compare it to the stability of those who had kept a traditional indigenous ways. And I would see a lot of cheating inside Western, um, those who had assimilated to Western um, ideas of relationships. There was a lot of divorces. Um, in Kenya, we also have a lot of orphan children. And the thing about traditional culture and the way families work is that there were no real orphans, you know, is that if um, someone's mom died or dad died, there was usually multiple wives, there was usually extended, you know, kin networks, so there were never orphans. So our traditional way is had all this um, uh, natural, like, safety net that Western culture and relationships did not have. But I like the honesty of my traditional ways and i went to a wedding of my one of my uncles and he was getting married for i think the third time he got a third divorce you know it's like two divorces and was getting married for a third time and i was just in there watching him you know give his vow saying he'll be with this woman forever and i was like liar <laughs> you said that two times before Millie, don't you know that the third time is the right time? Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just looked around me and I was looking at all the adults being like, how is everybody not saying anything? And this guy cheats and we all know that, you know? And I was uh, like, this is the, I do not want to be part of this way of being. I think I want to prefer being the way the Maasai's are, where people are honest about desire and who they want to be with. And I'd rather live an honest life 
than this performance that Westerners have of relationships. Um, that's just people being deceitful and divorces and broken marriages and sexless times. I don't want any of this, you know? So I, I chose my indigenous culture because of that. Honesty being one of your biggest why. Yeah. The number one, yeah. Nick knows this about me. (laughs) Anyone who dates me knows for me, it's like I, honesty is such an important integral part for me about having a relationships. And I think a lot of the way that people uh, do relationships in the West is very performance. There's a lot of performativity, you know, like compulsory monogamy culture is a script. You know, this is how you should do things, you know, not people really introspecting what they want, who they are. And um, so I'm I'm a mix of different tribes. And one of my tribes is the Kikuyu tribe. It's a very matriarchal um, tribe. And what I love about it is that you can also marry yourself in the Kikuyu tribe. You can have sister wives. And there's so many options in it because what they want to know is who are you? And then tell us who we are and we'll celebrate that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I thought that's such a much beautiful way than this one size fits all model that Western culture gives you. I prefer the model of, le- of, of us journeying who we are and, and us celebrating that. And, you know, so. Mm-hmm. For me, um, so going back to the question, like what, why, why do I choose polyamory every day? And um, I look back at the different experiences I've had. um, And I feel that what polyamory has given me are incredible amount of skills. Um, Not only organizational skills, because you do need organizational skills. (laughs) I'm management pro. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes. Um, But... I think uh, uh, um, it, you know it's what it develops is very great communication skills because one of the tenets of polyamory is you know learning how to communicate in a way uh, where um, sometimes that that is trauma informed um, because mm-hmm. you will bring up a lot of of trauma in yourself and in your partners. Um, also developing the skills, um, you know, it's really learning a lot about consent um, and and the importance of consent, the importance of expressing your needs, expressing your boundaries, um, expressing, you know, it's going further into expressing your needs. It's like, what are your personal requirements for security and really digging deep to get to know yourself at a level and then learning to express those things. Um, you know, learning how to how to relate to different personalities. Um, you, you know, it's like we can obviously do that if we're a serial monogamous, you know, whether we, you know, like date one person, break up, date another person, break up. That's just serial monogamy. We can definitely learn that. I feel that when you're dating multiple people at the same time, I think you learn exponentially. It's kind of like learning on steroids um, how to really communicate and relate to different personalities and kind of learning to adapt yourself. And I think these are skills that, you know, you can apply to work, to friendships, to anything. Um, And so... um, and 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 lastly, I just want to say that you know it's like with all that, it's like your level of growth or your 
your your your speed of growth, personal growth, really um, um, it, it 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 goes into hyperspeed because I've definitely learned so much about myself and about others uh, that I feel like I grew a lot and I continue to um, with every relationship I have. There's always things that I'm learning. Um, and, and, and when I say I learn a lot about myself, one of the things uh, that having, having different relationships, you know, what you get to realize is we all have personalities, um, but different people activate different facets of our personality. So when I have a relationship with Millie, for example, she's going to activate a certain part of my personality, but there's other parts of my personality that remain dormant. And Millie doesn't activate just because of the, the dynamics of, of our two personalities, our two relationships, how we, uh, our relationships, sorry, and how we relate. And um, another person is going to activate other elements of my personality as well. And, um, and you get to learn different aspects about yourself. And also Millie's gonna trigger me in certain ways. It's gonna activate not only personalities, but certain traumas. And another individual is gonna activate other traumas that I didn't even know I had, you know? But, but it's like, it's, it's, it, it's, it, it's really the amount of learning um, um, is incredible. And so this is what allows me to continue to be polyamorous every day. On top of everything Millie said about the honesty aspect freedom i think this is something oh, yeah. that 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 we haven't really mentioned or or highlighted but i think this is one of the major tenets of a lot of individuals that are polyamorous um mm -hmm. like the freedom to explore not being confined and you know being free to explore different crushes different loves different yeah. um, and seeing them through and not feeling like oh i'm already taken i can't yeah really yes that was what a big thing for me so yes honesty learning and growth um but when i was in a relationship i remember meeting someone else and feeling super connected to that other person and wanting to explore that connection to be able to go deep in that connection but telling myself oh well i'm not allowed to and that rule didn't really make sense to me it was like well wh why why though because I could explore that connection, experience that person fully, and still that wouldn't change anything to how I feel about my partner. And that's where the mind fuck, excuse my French, yeah. uh, happened, where that realizing that's actually one of my values, depth and connection and experience yeah. and freedom. Yeah. And maybe there is a, a way, a model that allows me to live more in accordance to yeah. my values. Mm -hmm yeah absolutely and that that's that's probably a myth you know you know and you know uh, like i think that you know if we follow love from somebody else it's going to diminish yeah um um or hurt our current relationship i think that's did you want to say Molly? no no um on, the, on a similar note that our hearts can only love one person you know, that our hearts are actually pretty big and we can love so much more. And yeah, um, I was just thinking also, you know, about that. It's one of the reasons why I also prefer polyamory 
to compulsory monogamy culture is I don't want to be the jailer of somebody else. I don't mm. want to be a prison guard. I don't want to have to, you police. know, po no, police. But I think there's also, I was, I was talking to um, a romantic interest of mine about the physiology of jealousy. So one of my uh, romantic interests he is um got he, he was recently in a relationship with a person who was trying to force him to be monogamous and you've seen about how physically he felt completely off because for the first time he was like feeling like you know trying to be monogamous he also started to realize his body shift to starting to care look at her in a way that was different that he never felt before where he was like why is she he, she talking to that guy he's trying to feel physically like jealous and I um I don't want I, I don't want to invite those sort of negative feelings where I've got to feel controlling and protective over my relationship in that sort of way. I want my partner to be free and for just him to want to do the right thing, you know, for me. And um and I and I look sometimes at monogamous people who are partaking in compulsory monogamy and they're constantly playing police guard, you know, they're constantly on the lookout for threats to their relationship. And I think that's not a way to live a life. I just think that's a terrible way to constantly be on guard. What you know? Who are you talking to? Who's on your phone? Well, you know? Did you? Why do you like that girl on Instagram? You know? You know? Why did that girl talking to you like that? Like that's just a way to live like that constantly. I don't know why people want that. And you know, I just think it's such a toxic characteristic that's been normalized in society. Mm -hmm. I saw a, a video that I think RuPaul filmed, and mm -hmm. saying, "Oh, I love my partner so much." that I would never want to limit them. Yes. Coming from a place of love. Yes. Versus we've been taught that that's not love. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 there's a similar expression uh, that, that, that's been said throughout the years that if you love something, set them free. Mm -hmm. If they love you back, they will come back. You know? And... The fact that I think the purest form of love is giving somebody the freedom to choose. Um, and they're free. And and if they come back and choose you every day, not just you, but if they choose to spend their time with you and continuously spend their time with you, um, they love you. And you've allowed them that freedom to do that. You're not forcing them. So. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Um, Nick, you've mentioned one myth. Um, and I want to explore more of them. <laughs> one that comes to mind, uh, one thing that I've heard personally is along the lines of, well, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have everything. That's just wanting to have everything. What are, what are your thoughts on that? And what are the most, you know, popular myths that you're faced with? Why not? Yeah, what if I like <laughs> cake? What if I, I like can, cake? I, have it. I, I want to have it all. <laughs> who's, who's the one that determined that I cannot have it and eat it? Exactly. And, and, this, <laughs> and, this, and this comes back to um, how colonial capitalism and Christian Puritan <laughs> ethics views your, you know, what you're allowed to have and pleasure and love, you know, it, it all comes back to this idea of scarcity, that there's only this much and only you can have this much, otherwise you are greedy and selfish and he doesn't like pleasure, you know, 
Puritan Christian culture does not like pleasure, right? And the uh, thing is, we are actually able to love multiple people responsibly and how our hearts are big enough and capable enough. And you will have multiple friends. We're capable of doing it. You know, you're, you're capable of balancing all those different things. And a lot of people you hear, you know, say things like, you know, you're a commitment foe, but I'm always like, no, polyamory is actually the love of commitment, if anything. And, <laughs> you know, it's like people will never say, oh, you have three jobs. How can you commit to them all? Right. So what? why not the same thing with a relationship? You are capable of committing to multiple people. So these are some of the um, myth that we often hear um, and things said against polyamorous people and that um, monogamy is better for family or polyamory is, op is open cheating, which has always been my favorite one. Um, <laughs> polyamory is only sex-based. Um, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're sex, you know, obsessed deviants who are only G's. <laughs> Um, and we have, must have a problem in our relationship. That's why it's an open relationship. And um, all of these things really say more about the person that's saying it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's about their actual understanding of polyamorous people. Because if you knew polyamorous people, for one, is that they're people who introspect relationships pretty um, strongly. You know, that they're, they're always unpacking and learning. Because the thing about polyamory is that it requires a degree of emotional skill sets that's very different um, than that required for monogamy, is that um, in, in, in polyamory that um, you, you have to be very conscientious and introspective of boundaries for things to go, you know, for, for relationships to be able to go well, is that, um, you know, you have to have great communication skills you know, you're constantly balancing your commitment and responsibilities to various partners. Um, and that sort of like intentional thinking is not as much inside compulsory monogamy culture. Compulsory, yeah. monog compulsory monogamy is a script. And so um, I'm going to go over everything. Yeah, myth. let's go like, through the myths and really it's we can do kind of like a, in a, a rapid fire. Yes, oh, let's do it. Let's do that. <laughs> so, okay. So, you know, I think Millie's named a few. So, um, you know, it's polyamory is is only sex-based. Well, um, you know, it's we, um, so the term polyamory, um, you know, it's a little bit of a misnomer because, you know, poly is, um, is Greek and amory is Latin. Um, so it's using kind of Greek and Latin roots. You know, it's like the proper term, you know, it would have been probably polyphilia or monoamory. Uh, uh, you know, poly, um, you know, polyphilia, and then multi-amory, multi that would have been kind of like, you know, if we want to, but anyways, the point there is the amory part, it means love, love, it doesn't mean sex, it's not poly sex, it's poly love, so it's having multiple, and that is a requirement, the ability and the capacity to love more than one person, and so we really truly think that if you are in a monogamish relationship, or an open relationship where you have one partner and you're just opening up your relationship just to have sex with others but you're not in love you are not polyamorous uh that is not part of the tenets of polyamory this is really um you're, you're just a monogamous couple that decided to open up your relationship for just sex um so 
So that's one thing. Um, you know, another myth is, you, you know, monogamy is better for families. Uh, there have been uh, um, um, very early research showing that um, um, kids that grow up in polyamorous um, households or intentional um, you know, communal families uh, actually do fare a lot better. Uh, that's because they have more adults to um, to actually uh, um, get, where they can go for advice. They have more adults that take care of them, that give them attention. How many times do we hear in this day and age where you have two working parents in the nuclear family and they're so busy, they're always on their phone or they're always working, the kids don't get any attention, so they're always on their phones or their technology or playing video games and stuff like that, and they don't get what's needed to be a kid and, and, and grow up. They need the attention of adults to really guide them. Um, and so with more... Um, um, you know, parental figures, you do end up having a lot more emotionally stable um, uh, children. Uh, so yes, so this, it's still early research on that, but um, that's, that's one of the things. Polyamorous. Yes. I just want to add a little anecdote here. I was talking with a woman who lived in a four people household and she said like, oh, usually two of us put the kids to bed and the other two clean the kitchen and pack the lunches for the next day. So when the kids are in bed, everything is done and we can all just relax. It's just more hands on deck. <laughs> right. And that just goes to show that, you know, this 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 idea of the nuclear family is not sustainable. It's not sustainable in this day yeah. and age. And so um, so then, you know, polyamory is open cheating. Uh, so open, you know, it's, we've gotten this a lot. Uh, so really understanding the, the term cheating. It doesn't mean cheating cannot exist in polyamory, um, uh, but the term cheating really means, you know, it's just like cheating on an exam or, uh, you know, uh, it, it's really you, you are breaking a boundary or you're lying about something. You're being dishonest about something. But when we talk about how polyamory is about honesty, it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's open honesty, but cheating is kind of like a little bit of the opposite. Um, mm -hmm. It's about being dishonest. So, um, so this is, this is where that's a myth. Are there any other myths that we haven't kind of talked about a little bit? I think we went through, yeah, most of them. Yeah, so, well, those are the big ones we received. Yeah. There are a few others, but I think those are the big ones. One of the, the 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 big word also that comes up a lot when I talk about polyamory is, oh, I could never do this. I'd be too jealous. Um, I think jealousy. How would you approach that? Um, that whether you're in a monogamous or in a polyamorous, you should always be addressing jealousy. Is that there's no such thing as oh, I'm too jealous. I think sometimes the problem is that people have been infantilized emotionally and been told that that's something that they should never be addressing or working on upon themselves is that that's something if you are feeling jealous you need to go to the root cause like jealousy is just a teacher and you should use it to guide you to the root cause as to why you're feeling this way and it should never be an excuse to control another human being you're never entitled to control another human being is that if you're feeling jealous um you need to address it um, you need to, is it, do you have a childhood wound? 
Do you have a trauma? You know, what what are you fearing? Where is it showing in your body? What is it saying about what your relationship needs? But whatever it needs will not should never be control of another person. And a lot of people say that I'm just a jealous person. And that to me just saying like I'm an angry person is that, you know, that would never be an excuse. You need to work on your anger issues if you're an angry person. <laughs> You need to work on it. That what that's what that says. It's not it's not an identity. And, and, and jealousy is not a free pass. Yes. yes. Jealousy is not a free pass. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I just wanted to add that it, it's 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 like an um, it's like any negative emotion. Like yeah. jealousy is an emotion, just like anger, just like sadness. And you know, it's when we are experiencing these different emotions, like Millie said, like let's not attribute it to our identity we don't say i'm a sad person i'm an angry person i'm a i'm a depressive person we 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 want to um really you know emotions are there to guide us they're there they're signals that our body tells us that there's something either wrong or something good because when we're happy i mean that's a happy emotion uh, uh but so so it's an invitation to yeah. really look within ourselves into where this is coming from, where this is. And, and when Millie says that it should not be used to control another person, this is something that, again, compulsory monogamy culture has taught us that, that in, when we feel jealous, that's the end of the sentence. It's full stop. And, and that everybody should accommodate us because we're feeling jealous. Imagine being able to say, I'm angry, and because I'm angry, you have to pamper me and treat me good so that I don't feel angry anymore, you know, or um, it's, it's, it, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, and, and, and so it's really, yes, it's about managing the jealousy. Mm. So other than doing your inner work and strengthening your um, inner safety, how do you both create security, help the other person feel secure in the relationship? Do you have examples of how you can do that? Do you want to say how we do it to each other? <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. You say what I do and I'll say what you did. Oh, I, I love this. Yeah. Little <laughs> <it>. game. Okay. <laughs> Mick does so many things. I think one of the reasons why um, we've been together 13 years and why we clicked from 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 the get go is the fact that um, is our honest communication, our communication skills, which you had from the get go, and um, the ways that you create security. Um, we always we knit we 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 tackle our issues as they come we don't ever like wait on them you know nick is very much about all right we got to discuss it and he started this more than me you know is that there's something you know we we talk about it we go into the root cause of to where it is emotionally what's really going on and we don't sleep until we, it is discussed or we make a date about when this will absolutely be discussed and unpacked and and there's an action plan. And there's an action plan about how to resolve it. Mm -hmm. And that um, sort of ensures that we deal, you know, with things um, as they come. 
So that's one of the ways that we work through things. Another thing that I think has been something we, we co-joined did is that we have a five-page agreement on our relationship, and we go th we've gone through all sorts of things about um, that we need to um, reflect upon, and um, so it's been stuff like our boundaries. Um, in, for example, our safe six policy is very much like written down, um, you know, time that we spent together during what's that going to look like during how many vacations during the year we want, how do we want to spend this, um, uh, even into deep into things as funeral plans, end of life, you know, ideas, which some a lot of people avoid, but you really need to like talk about them. Also breakup plans, not just we have breakup plans, you know, you know so, yeah, it's what happens if we break up, we break up, um, you know, having an ethics around that right now and talking about that um so we those are sort of those things that we yeah. do to create you know security I, I, and i want to add things that millie does uh so millie is very good with words of affirmation oh yeah okay. very, very good with words of affirmation and so um like she always makes it a point to um to um say things that she likes about me, admires about me. Um, and so that adds to the security. There's also the physical touch as well, um, where, you know, it's like we always make sure to hug each other every day, kiss. I, every time I leave for work, I always kiss Mary. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, it, it's it's stuff that we, we do. We also, um, you know, have found ways to really check in with each other. Yeah. Um, you know, and they become a little bit more frequent when there's new partners that are involved. Uh, so it's just to make sure that we're feeling good about it. And it's not necessarily about uh, permission or anything, but more about just, you know, it's like making sure that, um, that we're good together. Yeah. Um, you know, because, you know, it's one of the things that we we really feel it's, you know, and it's one of the struggles in polyamory. It's where when there's a new relationship, there's this thing called new relationship energy. And some people call it the honeymoon phase and everything. And sometimes when you have an older relationship, and if it's very old, there's that old relationship energy. And so sometimes the new relationship energy takes over and you end up neglecting your other relationships. And it's something to be very aware of that you're checking in with your other relationships, making sure everybody's okay um, emotionally and secure. Um, even if you're filled with dopamine um, in this it, you know, it's with this new partner. And so I think it's something that we we do a lot of as well. Yeah. And uh, to add on to that is that so Nick lives between me and his other partner. And so we have a check in and check out every single time. So um, when he's uh, going to be going to the other partner, you know, for let's say a week, we have a checkout moment. How was everything during the, you know, the last week? I think we should deal, you know, I think we should work on how are you doing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then we have a check-in, you know, where we catch up, you know, together. We'll have like a wine and wine, cheese or we'll go yeah. to a you know, bar or, or tea. And, or yeah. tea. Yeah. We'll talk and then we'll just have a moment to reconnect. You know, I've been seeing you in a week. How's things? What did you do? You know, um, so 
we we have those moments um to like reconnect as a relationship and i think that's one of the things i actually think is very beautiful about polyamory is that you never really get sick of you know seeing your partner every day you don't go into like a routine or everything you know it really is truly that distance makes the heart grow fonder like i'm always excited when it's the day when nick is going to be coming home and it's been 13 years and my friends know this about me, you know, is that when Nick, it's, it's the day Nick is coming home, they'll just see me all giddy and be like, is Nick coming home? She's like, yes, Nick is coming home today. <laughs> my baby's coming home today. I'm gonna make him this and this and this, you know? And, and it's like it's like little two dogs, like just meeting each other, just jumping up and just really excited to see each other. So it's like, yeah, that's our, some, some of the things that we do in our relationship. It's a lot harder to take the other person for granted is what I hear. Yes. Absolutely. You can't take them for granted. Um, and yeah, I don't think in, in polyamory, I think you also really learn because do you it from dating other people, what you have at home? You know, if you're, if you go and uh, see all the dating markets out there, you'd be like, what? I'm so happy that you exist, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but, but also even when I've been, I, I have, I've had some great partners um but it's weird like it's like a light is that this light doesn't diminish this light all it does is like, magnify the entire light inside my life mm, wow yeah so when i'm in love with somebody else it actually magnifies the, my love for nick even more and it, it's beautiful it's in the it's in the symbiotic they yeah. both feed on each other yes absolutely i would say like when 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 I'm more in love with my other partner, I'm more in love with Millie. When I'm more in love with Millie, I'm more in love with my other partner. It's 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 symbiotic for sure. Mm-hmm. Doesn't take over because we could think that new relationship energy. Oh my God, my feelings are so much bigger for this new person. Therefore, it means that I love them more. But that's also we have to be aware of all the chemicals and all of that yeah i, I think <laughs> it's like a maturity thing maybe when people are new to non-monogamy and transitioning is a new relationship is something that they can believe oh maybe i'm really in love with this new person but if you've you know gone through the motions of new relationship energy often while being polyamorous you kind of understand it in a different context of what's going on in your brain and everything you know, and, and you learn how to pull that energy into your relationship, mm. swing for other things. Yeah. And that's what I've I've learned to do over my life, you know? Yes. It's, yeah. Like I've never believed in monogamous myth. So my brain would never be like, oh, this must person must be the one. That, that, that's never happened. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And one thing that you shared that is really big for me is earlier you were talking about how compulsory monogamy gives you a script to follow. You just follow what the instruction instruction manual tells you. So it's going to be easy versus you, you made your own unique agreement. That's that honors both of your desires and needs. So it's trashing the the script, putting the, 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 the script in the, in the trash and creating your own uh, way your way of being together yeah uh, yeah uh, um and and a lot of people don't know there's a script they they follow the script but don't are not conscious that there is a script you know hence you know millie saying to get out of the matrix in a way you know using that analogy um and i see it more like 
um, you know, what's in the script, it comes as a package. It's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and you got the, um, you know, it's what do you call it? The menu du jour or the... Um, yeah, today's uh, special. Uh, um, but it, you know, you get the, the, the appetizer, the entree and the dessert, like all for one price, right? And so what polyamory ends up doing, it, it, it deconstructs and you can take things a la carte, you know? Mm. What you want in your relationship and how you want it and things don't come as a package. You don't need to, you know, um, 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 see a person every day, have sex with them all the time, marry them, have a baby, um, you know, live with them. And they don't all have come in the same package with polyamory. You can deconstruct those things and choose, depending on the person, what you want with them. And you can customize it how you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the reason why um, in today's age, especially, you're going to see polyamory rise because more and more so people want things customized to who they are. You know, um, you know, we, we live in this in this time, you know, where we're able to do things that are customized to our life in so many different ways. You don't have to go to work. You can work from home. You don't have to live here. You can have this gender. You can have this different um, sexual orientation is that you can be so many things. So who's to, why not also that apply that to the relationship aspect of who we are right now? Is that this, you know, we have a 56% divorce rate. You know, you have a 50 to 70%- This is in North America, in, by the way. In North America. Yeah, I just want to specify. And you have yeah. a 50-70% infidelity rate. And then you also have, I, I believe, something like 60% of long-term marriages are nearly sexless, right? Yeah. Is that this is not sustainable. And something is going to give. And the fact that um, compulsory monogamy is only a couple hundred years old, it is a construct. That's mm holding. -hmm. It hasn't held for very long. Is that... We are mammals, we are animals, and we are probably going to default to our natural nature. And non-monogamy is closer to our natural inclination than monogamy is. Mm -hmm. so, the box is shaking. The box is cracking. The box is shaking, you know, and I think it's, you know, I, I think it does neatly coincide with the collapse of the environment in some ways, you know, mm -hmm. is that we're going back to our natural state of being because is that this artificial way of life is not sustainable. It coincides also with a post-capitalistic world as well. So, Late capitalism. Uh, late, late I don't, I don't like post yet. It'd be nice to be a post. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is fascinating. And I want to leave um, my listeners with some actionable things that they can apply if they're in a monogamous relationship right now what can they learn from polyamory without saying okay i'm jumping into polyamory tomorrow what can they learn from this way of being in relationship yeah so so i want to first start out with two points so one is um you know i'm glad you made that specification like you don't have to be polyamorous. And we're not saying that everybody has to be polyamorous to 
live their best life and everything. There are certain people, we call them conscious monogamists, that, you know, understand the other side, really know all the benefits. And despite all that, they consciously choose to be monogamous because they feel they can only love one person. Uh, that's their capacity. And that is okay. And that is valid. And I want to say that and, and, and you know, and highlight that. Um, um, nevertheless, we do have on our social media accounts, a lot of monogamous people that follow us. And they follow us not because they want to be polyamorous because there's a lot that they learn uh, from our account and they apply it to their own relationships. Um, and so I'll just name a few uh, that 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 we've heard over the years. Um, one is, you know, um, you know, because a lot of polyamorous you know relationships require a high level of communication. Um, they learn how to communicate with different things, how to communicate their feelings, how to fight, how to you know communicate their boundaries, their ex expectations. And you can have all these things in a monogamous relationship as well. Um, and so learning how to communicate, have open and honest communication with a partner is something that, uh, that a lot of monogamous people in our experience have learned from our account. Um, the explicit negotiation of boundaries, so talking about boundaries, um, really, um, we're constantly, um, I wouldn't say as much now, but if you're going to kind of be at the beginning, if you're going to be in a relationship with somebody and you're near the beginning of your relationship and you're exploring polyamory with them, you're going to be negotiating boundaries a lot and agreements. Um, you know, you're going to be learning what you want. Um, for example, um, when there's a new partner and you're going to be sleeping over or you're going to be sleeping with that person, do you want to be notified before or after? These are boundaries. You know, it's what safe sex boundaries do you want to have? Um, you know, how often do you want to see your partner? Um, so these things that you're going to be constantly negotiating. Now, these are in the context of polyamory, but there are certainly boundaries that you can negotiate with a partner in a monogamous setting as well. Um, so these are... Uh, that, that's other things. We talked today about jealousy, managing jealousy, and nobody's immune to jealousy. Uh, there are polyamorous individuals that are jealous. There are monogamous individuals that are jealous. And so uh, understanding and, and, and learning how to manage your jealousy and learning how to root cause, know where it comes from, is really something that a lot of monogamous people turn to polyamorous people um, to really learn uh, about how to do that and how to have those discussions with their partner. Um, we, you know, it's, we talked, we have a few videos on codependence. Um, this is something that monogamous individuals experience a lot in relationships. They, there's a lot of codependent people. Um, and we tend to lose ourselves in relationships sometimes when, when we're monogamous. And so, um, what, what polyamorous individuals um, really teach is kind of like that exploration of your own individual self um, and and really, you know, coming back to you and not losing yourself. Being able to, if you're in a monogamous relationship, being able to go out by yourself, do these hobbies by yourself or with friends without your partner, going to parties, uh, by yourself, not having to always have your plus one be 
your partner. Um, and that's gaining that freedom, that independence that you can still do in a monogamous relationship. Um, and I would say lastly, it's really that whole emotional intelligence piece. So, um, um, so polyamorous individuals often develop a high level of emotional intelligence be, because they have to. <laughs> you will not <laughs> the survive. Adapt. The animal adapts. <laughs> you will not survive uh, um, if you you need to be able to manage your own emotions, um, being able to you know communicate and relate um, and 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 deal uh, with conflict resolution with other partners. Um, the worst is when I'm in conflict with all my partners at once. <laughs> I feel like those are the moments where I've told, told all my partners, those are the moments where I just want to go to this cabin and escape <laughs> and just be there for like a whole week. And it's the worst uh, when they're both <laughs> in the same room and angry at you. Oh yeah, when they're both in the same room. So learning uh, how to navigate those complex interactions and situations, um, learning to to develop empathy, self awareness, you know, awareness, conflict resolution skills, like I mentioned. Like I think this is something that you know, it's monogamous individuals can learn as well from polyamory. So I think those are the five things I would say. Wow, this is amazing. Thank you so much for coming here blowing our minds um so many more questions come to mind but maybe they'll have to there'll have to be a part two um can you tell my listeners where they can find you where they can learn more about you and about polyamory we are on all social media we are on tiktok we are on, you can find Decolonize in Love as well on Instagram. We are on YouTube and we are on Facebook. And threads. And threads, yes. The new, the new place to be. <laughs> we're not an X and we're not going to be. <laughs> and uh, all of these links are going to be in the show notes. So um, thank you so much, Millie and Nick, for being here. No, thank you for having us. Uh, this was amazing and uh, also uh, wishing you also luck on your polyamory journey. Thank you. I will let you know how it goes. And to everyone listening, have a beautiful week and please reach out to us if you have insights that you want to share. I would love to hear your thoughts. Bye. If you love what you're hearing on the Self Growth Nerds podcast and you want individual help finding a new direction for your life and developing the courage to make your dreams a reality, you have to check out how we can work together on selfgrowthnerds.com or message me on Instagram at selfgrowthnerds. My clients say they would have needed that support years ago. So if you're tired of feeling like you're wasting your life, don't wait. Get in touch now. And I cannot wait to meet you.